Section eighty four of the Mysteries of London, Volume three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mysteries of London, Volume three, by George W. M. Reynolds. Mrs. Slingsby and Mr. Torrens. While the scene related in the preceding chapter was taking place at the residence of Lady Hatfield in Piccadilly, incidents requiring mention occurred elsewhere. Mrs. Slingsby was seated in her drawing-room, a prey to the most frightful alarms. Sir Henry Courtenay had left her the evening before to acquaint Mr. Torrens with Rosamond's flight, and consult with him relative to the necessary steps to be taken to prevent the exposure which himself and Mrs. Slingsby so much dreaded. On thus parting with her, the baronet had faithfully promised to call early in the morning, and inform her of the particulars of his interview with Mr. Torrens. But it was now past one o'clock in the afternoon, and he had not made his appearance. What could his absence mean? Had anything disagreeable occurred? Was it possible that Rosamond could have made away with herself, and that Sir Henry had taken to flight through dread of an exposure and its consequences? The suspense which Mrs. Slingsby endured was horrible, horrible. Guilty consciences invariably magnify into giants even the most dwarf-like causes of apprehension, and there was no exception to this rule on the present occasion. A hundred times had she glanced at the elegant ormolu clock on the mantel, and as hour after hour passed, and he came not, her restlessness increased to such a degree that it at length reached a state of nervous excitement no longer endurable she accordingly hurried to her chamber dressed herself in her walking attire and having left word with her servants that in case sir henry courtenay should call he was to be requested to wait until her return sped to the nearest hackney coach stand where stepping into a vehicle she ordered the driver to take her over to torrens cottage yes thither she was determined to proceed without delay even at the risk of encountering rosamond though she could scarcely believe that the wronged girl had returned home for not precisely remembering all the details of the conversation which took place between herself and the baronet and which rosamond had overheard the guilty woman imagined that something more than mere allusions might have been made to the connivance of mr torrens in the ruin of his daughter and hence Mrs. Slingsby's very natural supposition that the victim of the infernal plot had not returned to the parental dwelling. The coach did not proceed with particular celerity, and the distance from the West End to Torrens Cottage was great. Mrs. Slingsby had therefore ample leisure to continue her harrowing meditations upon the real or supposed dangers which menaced her. In sooth, her position was by no means an enviable one unless indeed a convict under sentence of death might have preferred her state to that of imminent and ignominious death for circumstances appeared suddenly to combine against her she was in the family way and this was alone sufficient to cause her the most serious chagrin especially as her impious scheme of proclaiming herself a second johanna southcott had been so completely frustrated by the determined opposition of her paramour then there was the affair of rosamond torrens 
one word from whose lips would have the effect of tearing away the mask of hypocrisy which mrs slingsby had so long worn and exposing her to the world in all the hideous nudity of her criminal character lastly the unaccountable absence of the baronet filled her mind with the most serious misgivings for she knew that if he had indeed absconded that if he should cease to maintain her in a pecuniary sense her position would become lamentable in the extreme all these maddening reflections raised a storm of agitation in her guilty mind and she could scarcely subdue her excitement so that it should escape the notice of the coachman as he opened the door of the vehicle when it stopped opposite torrens cottage mr torrens was at home and mrs slingsby was immediately conducted by jeffreys to the parlour the very parlour where her paramour had been murdered on the preceding evening rosamond from her bedroom window had observed the arrival of the hateful woman and was lost in surprise at her conduct in daring to visit her father's abode mr torrens received mrs slingsby in the apartment where as we have just stated the awful tragedy of the previous night had been enacted and this was the first time the criminal pair had ever met bad as mr torrens himself was he could not help feeling a sentiment of extreme loathing and disgust for the woman who concealed so black a heart beneath the garb of religious hypocrisy and though he endeavoured to speak politely to her as he desired her to be seated his manner was cold reserved and indicative of the influence which her presence produced upon him we know each other by name mr torrens began mrs slingsby but it is only now that we have met you can doubtless conjecture the object of my visit yes madam exclaimed rosamond suddenly bursting into the room evidently in a state of fearful excitement then hastily closing the door she added my father can too well divine the purport of this insolent intrusion you doubtless seek to recover possession of me to take me back to your infamous abode to surrender me up to your own vile paramour oh my dear father surely surely you will not allow this polluted creature to remain beneath your roof a minute longer rosamond rosamond said mrs slingsby becoming the colour of scarlet you will regret those harsh words i came for the purpose of giving certain explanations to your respected parent explanations madam cried the young girl with a bitter smile of contempt what explanations can you offer which i have not already given i have every reason to believe that you overheard a conversation between sir henry courtenay and myself said mrs slingsby growing bolder as she perceived that the atrocious complicity of mr torrens was not suspected by his daughter and that conversation seems to have alarmed you for your flight from the house was wild and precipitate had i not already tarried there too long demanded rosamond emphatically oh think not to be able to delude me any more with your specious misrepresentations your disgusting sophistry a veil has fallen from my eyes and i now behold you madam and that baronet whom you so much vaunted in your proper colours you are wrong thus to suspect us so cruelly said mrs slingsby the conversation which you overheard was but the repetition of another conversation which sir henry courtenay had himself overheard between two persons whom you know not and which he was relating to me but i appeal to your father whether he believes me 
"'Enough, madam!' exclaimed Rosamond, in a tone which convinced the base woman that she was indeed no longer to be imposed upon. "'My father knows you to be a degraded hypocrite, and your insolence is extreme in thus daring to violate the sanctity of the paternal dwelling to which I have been forced to return for shelter and refuge. And were it not,' she added bitterly, "'that I should be proclaiming my own dishonour, not a moment's hesitation would I manifest in tearing away the mask from your face and exposing you to the world. Oh, when I think of all the insidious wiles which you have practised, all the abhorrent tutoring which you have brought to play upon my mind, I deplore, yes, deeply do I deplore that necessity which compels me to place a seal upon my lips. Mrs. Slingsby had heard enough to satisfy her that no exposure would take place at the hands of Rosamond, and she was not very solicitous to prolong her visit. The cause of the baronet's absence she had yet to learn, but she concluded it was not at Torrens Cottage she must seek to have her curiosity in that respect gratified. She accordingly rose, bowed to Mr. Torrens, who had remained a mute but almost alarmed spectator of the whole scene, and hastily withdrew, just in time to avoid coming in collision with John Jeffreys, for that worthy, judging by the excited manner in which he, himself unobserved, had seen Rosamond rush into the parlour, that something extraordinary was connected with the arrival of Mrs. Slingsby, had very coolly and quietly listened at the parlour door to every word that was uttered within. Mrs. Slingsby returned home, somewhat consoled by the conviction that her character was safe from any vindictiveness on the part of Rosamond, but she was still alarmed in respect to the baronet, and this fear increased greatly when, on her arrival in Old Burlington Street, at about four o'clock, she learned that he had not called. She immediately dispatched a note to his residence, but the domestic returned with the answer that Sir Henry Courtenay had not been home since the preceding day a circumstance which caused no small degree of alarm in the baronet's household, inasmuch as though he often slept away from his abode, his servants were invariably kept ignorant of those proofs of irregularities on his part. In a word, he was accustomed so to arrange matters that his nocturnal outgoings were never suspected at his own residence, and thus his absence on this occasion had naturally inspired some degree of apprehension. Mrs. Slingsby was astounded at the message which her servant had brought back. She could not even hazard a conjecture relative to the cause of Sir Henry Courtenay's disappearance, and she was at a loss where to search for him. She therefore resolved to remain at home in the hope that he would presently call upon her. But time passed, and still he came not. At length there was a loud double knock at the door, and she fancied it was the announcement of Sir Henry's arrival but, instead of the object of her anxiety, Mr. Torrens was ushered into the drawing-room. "'I fancied, madam,' he said, "'that you had some particular reason in calling upon me just now, and which the presence of the unfortunate Rosamond prevented you from explaining. I therefore lost no time in waiting upon you.' "'My alarm was somewhat appeased by the words which fell from your daughter's lips,' answered Mrs. Slingsby, motioning her visitor to be seated inasmuch as she expressed her intention of remaining silent on a subject which neither I nor you would wish to become a matter of public gossip. 
but i am astonished and grieved at the behaviour of sir henry courtenay who left me last night with the intention of proceeding direct to your house and whom i have not since seen he came not to me madam answered mr torrens with an unblushing countenance this is most extraordinary most alarming cried mrs slingsby for he has not been home all night nor yet to-day and i begin to have vague suspicions that something wrong must have happened sir henry courtenay is a gallant man yes interrupted mrs slingsby hastily as if the subject were not a very agreeable one but he also maintains a character for propriety and good conduct and his dependents are never suffered to know that he stays away from home at night you see that i am compelled to be candid with you for the affair is most serious now only reflect for a moment mr torrens upon what my state of mind would be were i questioned relative to sir henry's disappearance suppose i say that he did not soon come back that he continued to be missing it would transpire that he was with me until late evening that we went out together for we did go out to search for rosamond and that i came back alone no one could suspect you madam of having made away with him observed mr torrens no but i should be overwhelmed with the most embarrassing questions exclaimed mrs slingsby hastily and do you know that remark of yours has inspired me with horror and alarm no one would suspect me of having made away with him of course not how could a weak woman assassinate a man in the streets of london and not leave a trace of the dreadful deed behind but might not inquiries be made might it not be discovered that sir henry and myself were frequent visitors i must speak candidly to you to a house of ill fame and then oh then what a dreadful exposure would take place you are torturing yourself with vain apprehensions mrs slingsby said mr torrens experiencing the greatest difficulty to conceal his own agitation i should have thought that you mr torrens would have assisted me with your advice considering how we have been involved in the same transaction rather than treat my fears with levity said mrs slingsby in an excited manner and if i tell you the candid truth she added fixing her eyes upon his countenance in a way which seemed intended to read the inmost secrets of his soul i must declare my conviction that you know more about the cause of the baronet's disappearance than you choose to admit i madam exclaimed mr torrens shrinking from the accusation in spite of himself yes you returned the lady growing more and more excited and that suspicion which i hazarded i scarcely know why is now confirmed by your manner i again say yes you know more of the cause of sir henry courtenay's disappearance than you are willing to admit i am convinced that he did visit you last night and if he never came back what account will you give what explanation will you render your anxiety in coming after me just now the singularity of your remark that no one would suspect me of foul play towards a baronet and your trepidation when i named the suspicion which had flashed to my mind concerning you all these circumstances convince me that you are no stranger to the cause of sir henry courtenay's disappearance madam this outrageous charge 
implying a crime of which I am utterly incapable, began Mr. Torrens, scarcely knowing how to meet the accusation, and seriously inclined to divulge the whole truth. "'I do not say that you have murdered Sir Henry Courtenay,' interrupted Mrs. Slingsby, speaking in a low tone, and giving a strong, hollow emphasis to that dreadful word which few can breathe without a shudder, but that some quarrel may have taken place between you, that you were compelled to appear violent and vindictive in respect to him, your daughter perhaps being present, and that all this led to a fatal issue, are things which now seem to forge a complete and connected train of horrible impressions in my mind. At all events, Mr. Torrens, she added, sinking her voice to a low whisper, be candid with me tell me the whole truth and we will consult together circumstances having already rendered us colleagues in one transaction i have nothing to tell you mrs slingsby in respect to this business said mr torrens and i am as astonished at sir henry courtenay's disappearance as yourself then if i were questioned observed the lady you would have no objection to my saying that i parted last night from sir henry courtenay near st james's church piccadilly his last words being to the effect that he was about to call at torrens cottage on particular business as she thus spoke mrs slingsby fixed her eyes in a searching nay a piercing manner upon the countenance of her companion who for a moment quailed and betrayed evident signs of the desperate efforts he was making to conceal his agitation yes you may safely say that if you perceive any utility in so doing returned mr torrens at length then his features suddenly assuming a ferocious expression he added but why proclaim war against me do we not know too much of each other to render such a warfare safe or useful to either were you not the paramour of sir henry courtenay did you yourself not admit ere now that you visited a house of ill fame with him are you not at this moment with child by him woman woman muttered torrens between his teeth provoke me not or it shall be war indeed war to the knife be reasonable sir said mrs slingsby now assuming a cold and resolute air and let us talk as two accomplices ought to converse and not with menaces and threats agreed madam but be you reasonable also returned mr torrens then wherefore keep anything secret from me demanded mrs slingsby i have read the truth i have divined it and your language has just confirmed my impression but think not that i care for sir henry courtenay as a loving mistress or wife might care for him no she added contemptuously any affection which i may ever have experienced towards him has long since vanished and of what avail would it be to you to know that sir henry courtenay was no more even for a moment granting that he indeed exists no longer asked torrens i will tell you replied mrs slingsby in a low and hoarse whisper while she looked intently and in a manner full of dark meaning into her companion's eyes as she bent her countenance towards him if i were assured that sir henry courtenay was indeed no more i would become possessed of two thousand pounds by ten o'clock to-morrow morning ah ejaculated mr torrens his mind instantly conceiving the idea of sharing the produce of whatever plan the lady might adopt 
to accomplish her purpose for we have already said that his necessities were still great and that unless he shortly obtained funds he would be as badly off as he was ere he sold the virtue of his daughter yes resumed mrs slingsby and to show you that i have more confidence in you than you have in me i will give you a full and complete explanation sir henry courtenay promised me two thousand pounds as a reward for my connivance in the plan respecting rosamond go on go on said mr torrens hastily that reward i have not received because the payments which sir henry had to make to you and other claims upon him had caused him to overdraw his bankers but yesterday morning he paid in eight thousand pounds and he intimated to one of the partners that he should give me a cheque for two thousand in the course of the afternoon the fact is continued mrs slingsby those bankers believe that i have property in india which sir henry courtenay's agent there manages for me and that the proceeds therefore pass through sir henry's hands this tale was invented to account for the numerous and large cheques which i have received from the baronet on that bank it was the saving clause for my reputation now those two thousand pounds which were promised me i can have for little trouble and a small risk indeed said mr torrens becoming more and more interested in this explanation yes continued mrs slingsby and i will tell you how almost immediately but i must first observe that i should have received the cheque last evening had not the sudden flight of rosamond interrupted the discourse which i was having with the baronet and thrown us into confusion but and again she lowered her voice to an almost inaudible whisper i can imitate the handwriting of sir henry courtenay to such a nicety that it would defy detection now do you understand me i do i do answered mr torrens and you perceive that i have full confidence in you asked the widow mr torrens rose and paced the room for a few minutes he was deliberating within himself whether he should repose an equal trust in mrs slingsby and he decided upon doing so she saw what was passing in his mind and remained silent confident as to the result my dear madam he said resuming his seat i will at once admit to you that sir henry courtenay is indeed no more the lady heard him with breathless attention for though she was fully prepared for the avowal yet when it came it sounded so awfully so ominously that she received it with emotions of terror and dismay it is indeed too true continued torrens but think not for a moment that i am a murderer no no bad as i may be as i know myself to be in fine i could not perpetrate such a deed as that a strange and wonderful combination of circumstances led to the shocking catastrophe listen and i will tell you all mr torrens then related every incident of the preceding evening suppressing only that portion of the tale which involved the fact of his servant john jeffreys being acquainted with the occurrence and having lent his aid in disposing of the body this circumstance he concealed through that inherent aversion which man ever has to confess that he is in the power of any one and he made it appear by his own story that unassisted he had buried the corpse at first mrs slingsby was incredulous relative to the version of the murder which she heard 
she thought that torrens was himself the perpetrator of the act but when he declared how cruelly the robbery of his money had embarrassed him and when she reflected that there really could have been no reason urgent or strong enough to induce him to make away with the baronet she ended by fully believing his narrative then he is indeed no more she exclaimed but my god what will be thought of his disappearance and will not those inquiries which i so much dread be made as no suspicion can possibly fall upon either yourself or me responded mr torrance it is far from likely that any such inquiries will be instituted no you need not be alarmed on that head my dear madam i should rather be inclined to entertain apprehensions for the success of your own scheme of the forgery he added after a moment's pause no danger can possibly attend that undertaking said mrs slingsby the baronet stated at the bankers that he should give me the cheque yesterday and it will be paid in a moment even if they have already heard of his disappearance which is scarcely probable because the fears excited by that fact have not as yet become so strong as to lead to the suspicion that he has indeed met with foul play you are then confident of being enabled to counterfeit his handwriting successfully asked mr torrens beyond all possibility of doubt replied the widow and shall you want my assistance inquired torrens thinking how he could start a pretext for claiming a portion of the expected proceeds of the nefarious plan listen to me said mrs slingsby after a few moments deliberation and now speaking as if she had finally come to a settled resolution on a particular point which she had been revolving in her mind almost ever since mr torrens entered the room i have something to propose to you with regards us both and which may suit yourself as well as it would suit me you are involved in embarrassments i am indeed replied mr torrens now awaiting in breathless suspense the coming explanation which by the leading question just put appeared to relate to some scheme for relieving him of his difficulties and these embarrassments are very serious continued the widow so serious that they are insurmountable as far as i can see at present was the response then you fear executions arrest prison and all the usual ordeal of an insolvent debtor asked the lady just so and sooner than enter on that ordeal i would commit suicide rejoined mr torrens the alternative i have to propose to you is not quite so serious nor alarming as that resumed mrs slingsby i have shown you that i can put myself in possession of two thousand pounds to-morrow morning will that sum relieve you completely from your difficulties and enable me to carry out those speculations which must produce a large fortune answered torrens then those two thousand pounds are at your disposal on one condition said mrs slingsby and that condition gasped mr torrens in mingled joy and suspense is that you marry me returned mrs slingsby as calmly as if she were making a bargain of a very ordinary nature marry you exclaimed her companion quite unprepared for this proposal yes marry me repeated the widow you want money to save you from ruin i want a husband to screen me from disgrace 
you are involved in pecuniary troubles i am in a way to become a mother i can save your person from a jail you can save my character from dishonour the arrangement is indeed an equitable one said mr torrens not without the least scintillation of satire in his remark but i see one fatal objection and that is your daughter rosamond observed mrs slingsby surely the whim the aversion or the fantasy of a girl will not induce you to reject a proposal which will save you from ruin and imprisonment and yet what could i say to her how could i explain my conduct what would she think after all she knows of you demanded mr torrens she has not the power to prevent the match and that is the principal point in the matter returned mrs slingsby coolly you may as well urge as an objection that clarence villiers my nephew is your son-in-law but i am not so foolish as to be alarmed at such scruples and you must have seen too much of the world to allow yourself to be irretrievably ruined for the sake of a few idle punctilios give me your decision at once ay or nay if it be the former the marriage may be celebrated by special license to-morrow evening if it be the latter there is at once an end of the business and we need not be the less good friends you regard the whole proposition then entirely as a matter of business said mr torrens well that is indeed the way to look at it of course if we strike a bargain and unite our fortunes we shall require only one establishment will you break up this in old burlington street and be contented to dwell at my cottage certainly was the reply the sale of my furniture will pay my debts and perhaps leave a surplus at all events we shall have the two thousand pounds clear and that sum you will place in my hands to-morrow morning said mr torrens interrogatively no to-morrow evening after the ceremony responded the widow then we cannot trust each other continued mr torrens i think we should act prudently and adopt as many mutual precautions as possible observed mrs slingsby coolly granted exclaimed mr torrens and what guarantee have i that when once the indissoluble knot shall have been tied you will hand me over the promised sum simply the fact that i do not wish to marry a man who will be the next morning conveyed away to a prison that is a mere assertion and no security remonstrated mr torrens we are talking the matter over in a purely business-like sense now as far as i can see the advantages will be all on your side if you happen to be in debt you will have a husband on whose person your creditors will pounce instead of on your own and at all events as you are with child you will have a person whom you can represent as the legitimate father of the expected offspring i will tell you how the business can be managed said mrs slingsby after a pause a thought has struck me i will lodge the money in the hands of a very respectable solicitor whom i know and you can accompany me to his office for the purpose in his keeping shall it remain with the understanding that it is to be paid to you on your becoming my husband good observed mr torrens who is the solicitor mr howard was the answer i know him and have no objection to him as the agent in this business i think we have now got over all obstacles in that respect 
A difficult task will it, however, prove to me to prepare my daughter this evening for the step which I am to take tomorrow. Oh, I have no doubt you will succeed, said Mrs. Slingsby. It would be indeed hard if a father could not overcome, with his reasoning, the objections of his own child. I must do my best, observed Torrens, rising. At what hour tomorrow shall I call to accompany you to the lawyer's? At about twelve. I shall go to the bank between ten and eleven, and you can, in the meantime, obtain the marriage license. It shall be done, returned Mr. Torrens. The ceremony will be performed here? he added interrogatively. Yes, at seven o'clock in the evening. I will make arrangements with two ladies whom I know to be bridesmaids, and Dr. Wagtail will give me away. After the ceremony, we will repair to Torrens' cottage. Thus, calmly and deliberately, was settled the solemn covenant between the man who had sold his daughter's virtue and the licentious woman who was now prepared to commit a forgery and the worthy pair separated, Mr. Torrens having embraced his intended wife, because he considered a kiss to be, as it were, the seal of the bargain just concluded, and also because Mrs. Slingsby, by her manner, appeared to invite the salutation. End of section 84